following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. And we have a great God and a great start to our worship time this morning. Um, this morning we're looking uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 at the last section, really, on the uh, topic of submission. And I know we've all just been, you know, just so enthusiastic about learning how to be more submissive. It's, you know, it's just what we all want to do. And it just comes so naturally to us, right? We just find ourselves saying, oh, please tell me something to do, because I want to submit to something, right? Um <clears throat> Let's uh, do begin uh, just turning our hearts to God in prayer as we start. Father, you are indeed a great, amazing God. And uh, Lord, we proclaim that, we sing that, and yet, if we're honest, we have to confess that, uh, that oftentimes you're not the center of our thoughts or attention. That there's so many distractions out and around us and even inside us that can consume our, our thoughts and uh, we really don't uh, always stand in awe of you as this amazing, incredible God. So we pray that even now as we look at your word, we'd be able to shut out those distractions. And just for this time, focus on you. Uh, not, on, not on me as the speaker or on our people sitting around us. Not on what we have to do this week or later today. But just to focus on you and hear you speak to us. Lord, we want you to teach us by your Holy Spirit uh, that we might live according to your truth and your word. So we invite you to be our teacher this morning. And we invite you and ask you to speak to us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Just to review a bit, uh, in case you haven't been here for the whole series on submission, uh, this is part of a section that actually goes back to chapter 5, Verse 15, where Paul encourages the Ephesians to be careful how they live. And he gives some simple instructions on what that looks like. And the last thing in that set of instructions is that they be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then under that uh, filling of the Holy Spirit, Paul talks about several things that will characterize their life if they're filled by the Holy Spirit. And one of those is that their hearts will be full of singing. And this morning, man, good singing. Our hearts are full of music, and hopefully not just when we sing outwardly, but always our hearts will be filled with a joy that expresses our, our love relationship, our walk with Christ. So that should be one thing that would characterize a life filled and influenced by the Holy Spirit. Uh, another thing that should characterize it is a thankful attitude. And not just when things go well, but always. In all things good, bad, and otherwise, we would have a thankful heart. And then finally, he says that your life will be marked uh, by an attitude of submission. He says as you submit to one another. And uh, in that statement, he's, he, he makes it clear that submission is a part of every person's life. Now, in the following examples, he gives a number of illustrations of various kinds of submitted relationships. Uh, but the, the reality is that all of us, at some time or another, live in uh, some kind of relationship where we're under the supervision or direction or authority of somebody else. Um, And in this last section we come to in chapter 6, it's really about, uh, he says specifically, this is to slaves and masters. 
Okay, now, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, I'm not a slave, so none of this really applies to me, right? We're off the hook. However, I want you to think about something. You know, we, what, what is a slave? You, you could define a slave this way. A slave is somebody who works and doesn't get paid for it. Therefore, a lot of you actually are slaves. Because <laughs> a lot of you are working and you're not getting paid for it, right? Um, now actually, Paul wouldn't define a slave that way. He would define a slave as somebody who is working and getting paid. In, in, in Greek times, slaves got paid. Uh, the, what made them a slave, though, is that they didn't have a choice in it. Okay, they didn't choose their job or career or profession. If they didn't like it, they didn't have the option of quitting and finding a job somewhere else. A slave was forced labor. And even though they were paid and were given some liberty and freedom in the Greek world, some protection, uh, they weren't free about their own life. And so that's why they were called slaves or freemen. Freemen were those who were uh, freely disposed to direct their own life and could go look for jobs and employment and pursue things on their own. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, slaves, free, whatever, this passage is really about all of us because in the end, in verse 6, he talks about this, these principles applying to both slaves and free men. Okay, so either you're a slave who works and doesn't get paid or, uh, or you're a free man. Maybe you're doing what you're doing and you feel like you have no choice, like you're stuck where you are. Maybe you have choices. It doesn't matter. The principles really apply. And the principles here really have uh, somewhat to do with submission, and uh, submission within working relationship and roles in a working environment. But the passage really says a great deal about work in general. What is work? And so I titled the message this morning, Work. Uh, the reality is that all of us have, have work. Okay, whether we're employed or unemployed, whether we're uh, young or old, retired or not retired, whatever, all of us have work. And work is, is actually something that God has given and called all people to. Some people have the idea, maybe you have the idea that work is a part of the fall, right? That work was something God cursed Adam and Eve with after they sinned. But that's not actually true. If you look in Genesis and read carefully, you'll see that God gave work to Adam and Eve before the fall. Okay, the bad news is, if that's true, if there was work before the fall, there will most likely be work after death. Okay, those of you who are hoping for like the whole death thing and the end of work may get to heaven and be very disappointed. Because I think there will be work there. Uh, God will have us involved in meaningful activity and business and doing things to serve Him. So work is a part of life, and it doesn't matter. You know, babies have jobs to do. Their job is to learn to walk and to uh, learn to talk and uh, to explore the world by putting everything that exists in their mouth. It's their job, okay? And it's important they can't really graduate till they put everything in their mouth. Then they can move on, right? Uh, children have the job of going to school, you know, elementary, you go to school, you learn stuff. And, of course, the job of cleaning your room, right? High school, same thing. You go to school and clean your room, right? You get older, you get married, you go to work, and you clean your room. So you can't get away from it. Forever we're doing this cleaning your room thing. Go to heaven. Clean your room. That's part of the job. Um, there's all work. It doesn't matter if you are a housewife who's a stay-at-home mom who has the very, very important job of taking care of children. Uh, if you're a working person, a man or a woman who has a career or a job or an occupation. If you're retired, okay, retirement, retired means going actually from being a slave to a freeman. That's what retirement is. Because now you no longer have to work to make money. You now are free to be a slave to whatever you want. right? And that's 
Uh, and, you know, there's always, there's always, doesn't matter how old you are, there's always those honeydew lists, right? That's your work. All of us, every day, young, old, doesn't matter our station life, all of us have work. And uh, when you think about what that means, it means that we spend maybe one hour, two hours in church on a Sunday morning. We may spend, you know, some of you four hours every morning in prayer. Some maybe a little less. Um, but you spend huge chunks of time of your life working, doing, being productive, right? And so how we work and what work is to us and what its purpose is in our life is extremely important because it really does comprise, aside from maybe sleep, although I think some of us probably work more than we sleep, our work is a huge part of our life. So it's important that we do it in a way that honors God. And so Paul gives us... Uh, you know, at face value, it sounds like it's all about slaves and masters, but it really is about working, and it really applies very specifically to all of us. So let's look at some key principles. Uh, we're going to kind of look at the who, how, what, why of work. Who you work for, how you work, why you work, what you get paid for working. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 5. Slaves... Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them uh, at all times, which I think, by the way, is a horrible translation. Uh, I would translate it this way. uh, Not as men-pleasers or uh, just when they are watching you, but as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each, of, each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. There it is. Slaves are free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So the first thing we want to look at is who we work for. Uh, he says here that we, uh, we as, and we'll use the word loosely, as slaves, as employees, as workers... Uh, take orders from an earthly boss. He said, obey your earthly masters. And he distinguishes, partly because in the Greek he uses the word Lord. He said, literally, it would be the same word we use translate Lord. He says, uh, obey your earthly lords. And it would mean anybody who has authority over us at any working relationship, our boss, our employer. Uh, it may be a board that oversees our work. Uh, and we do take orders from these earthly ma- masters. Uh, the people do have the right to tell us what to do in our job and in our work. Uh, one of the reasons I've spent so much time on this issue of submission is that you know, one of our jobs as uh, teachers of the Word is to be counterculture where culture is moving away from biblical truth. And I really believe that in our modern world there's a huge wave or movement that says, I don't have to submit or follow anybody. And uh, especially among younger generations, but even creeping up into, you know, old guys like us. There's this thought that hierarchy and leadership and authority is an evil institution that comes from Satan. And that, therefore, I don't have to do what anybody tells me. That I am free, a free acting agent, and I can do whatever I want, and nobody can tell me what to do. And so the word boss, the word authority, the word... You know, leader, the word hierarchy, are evil things that people want to scrub out of the language or at least turn into 
evil things that are not from God. But the reality is that God has ordained these things. And uh, it's interesting, even in Paul's day, he's talking here about slavery, things that we may have ethical reasons that, that this is wrong. But Paul doesn't counter it. He doesn't uh, try to overthrow it. Nowhere in Scripture uh, did Jesus or the apostles try to abolish this human institution. That doesn't make it right. And it's really, certainly, as we read later on, as Paul instructs masters, there is an ethical and right way to, to take care of slaves. But he doesn't undo it. And he doesn't in any way imply they should rebel against this, this inherent evil. In fact, he says, people do have a right to tell us what to do. And if you're an employee... Now, this is easy if you're not a slave, okay? If you're actually an employee and you get paid to do a job, you know, you do what you're told because you want the paycheck, right? We don't get too pushy when it is connected with a paycheck. But the reality is that in any context, whether paid or not paid, uh, there are bosses, there are those who are leaders, there are those who are in charge. And they do have a right uh, to tell those who work for them how to do their job or what to do. Um, so, so part of life is taking orders from our earthly boss. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. And this is really important. And in, in every area of submission that Paul has talked about, he's made it very clear that our submission and our following takes place at two levels. The first level is on this earthly human plane. Uh, but that plane is lower and not as important or as significant as the higher plane, which is our submission or our obedience to Christ. And throughout this passage, and repeatedly, he says, uh, yeah, take orders from your earthly boss, but in the end, you work for Christ. Okay? Jesus is our boss. And for a slave living in palsy, this was hugely radical and important news. Okay, you're not just a slave. You're an employee of Jesus. All right, so it, it, it keeps things in order that we, we do what we're told. But our ultimate boss and ultimate person that we're responsible to is Jesus himself. All right, he says, you, you, you work, you serve, you are a slave as of Christ. Later he says in verse 6, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord. Uh, do not work for human, you're not working for man. You ultimately serve and work for Christ himself. So, so that does two things to our work, okay? This principle that we work for God does two things for our working. First of all, it really does elevate all of our work. Okay, there's no such thing as low-rate second-class work because all work is ultimately service to Christ. So it elevates all work and gives it great significance and importance. I remember the first kind of real paid job I had, I had other jobs, but the first kind of official job that I filled out an application for and all that kind of stuff, was, at a, was as a dishwasher in this huge restaurant. It was the worst job I've ever had in my life. I lasted about a month and a half. I just couldn't do it anymore. It was horrible. And uh, you know, it doesn't matter how lowly and, and miserable your job may be, or at times may be, uh, because Christ is our ultimate employer, it elevates and it gives it incredible significance and worth. All right? So all work is important. Uh, second implication of this is that it, it, it really does have huge significance for how I work if I answer to Jesus. Okay? This, is, this is kind of the rub or the catch in this. Uh, you know, we, we all have bosses, and we all know what it is to have a boss inspect our work. I worked at a Bible camp. One of the other first jobs I had, which I, I was a slave, actually, did not get paid, and uh, really was you know, the camp slave. And uh, I cleaned bathrooms and cleaned all kinds of stuff at the camp. 
And uh, whenever I get done, you know, my boss would come and inspect all my work. And his job was to find every piece of dirt, you know, molecule-sized particle of dust that I missed, right? And I had to, I was always conscientious that, you know, somebody was going to be closely inspecting my work. Well, if Jesus is our boss, the reality is Jesus himself is closely inspecting your work, okay? Uh, He watches closely. And a little bit later, uh, Paul makes it clear that, uh, that believers will stand in judgment before Jesus and he will evaluate our work and we will be paid accordingly. All right? He is watching your work. So if you're a first grader, you know, learning to spell, God's paying close attention how you are doing that. If you're a high school student learning algebra, God is watching carefully the effort and diligence and effort you put into that. Okay? He knows the little, you know, the little funny cartoons you write in your notebooks saying bad things about your teacher. He knows that. Right? He's watching. He's watching and examining all of our work. Okay, that's what that implies and signifies. We don't work for ultimately human masters. We work for Jesus. Um, so therefore, the reality is that all work is ultimately service to God. All work. All of our doing, paid, free, volunteer, uh, retired, you know, schoolwork, all of our working is ultimately uh, a call by God to serve Him. All right? Um, in that it does elevate all of our work. It elevates our chores. It, it elevates the most menial task. Um, and it calls us to really excellence in everything that we do. All right? Excellence in everything that we do. Because it is ultimately service to God. So if that's true, which I really believe it is, all of our doing, all of our work, paid, unpaid, is service to God, then it really doesn't matter how we work. Okay? It's very important how we work because we're ultimately given an answer to Jesus for it someday. So Paul gives instructions on how we ought to work. And he, he, uh, he spells out the nature of our work. And the first of all, it should be in the spirit of obedience. Okay, this whole section under submission. And here he specifically uses the word obedience, the same word that he used in children being obedient to their parents. And as I shared last week, it means to listen under. To listen to what people tell you and instruct you and follow their directions. Okay? Um, and that applies in the, in the workplace. Uh, one of the reasons this is so important, and one of the reasons that obedience is such a mark of a spirit-filled life, is that you know, Jesus made very clear that our love to him and our obedience of him are one and the same thing. You cannot separate those things in our spiritual Christian life. Okay, we can't come on Sunday morning and have this wonderful worship experience where we want to have this loving, affectionate, uh, heartwarming, kind of warm, fuzzy thing with God where we say we love him, but turn around on Monday morning and walk in disobedience to things he's called us to. Okay, those things are absolutely incongruent in the life of the Christian. Uh, Jesus measures our love by our obedience. Okay, he measures our love to him by the degree of our obedience. Now, as we shared, there's a way to be obedient and not loving. But there's no way to be truly loving and disobedient. Okay? Those things are one and the same and together. And so, God, um, and you know, it's easy to obey God, okay? 
Well, it's not easy, actually. It's hard enough. But there is some incentive to obey God. Uh, but that's really not enough. God wants to bring it down to real-life, everyday human relationships. Uh, and just as our love for God and our love for man are somehow very much connected, so our obedience to God and our obedience to man are very much connected. And when God looks down, He says, Okay, I want to see how obedient... I want to see the spirit of your heart. Let's see if you have this spirit or attitude of submission and obedience... I want you to work for so-and-so who's a jerk, who's going to ask you to do things you don't like, and I want to see what's the spirit of your heart. right? And he tests us in these relationships. You know, why did God allow believers to be slaves in, in, in the early Greek world? If God really loved them, why didn't he liberate them from this oppression? Right? That's an important question. Same thing true in our day. A lot of people are in very difficult situations and places. Why does God not... If he loves them, why doesn't he liberate them and set them free? Well, one reason is that every place we are is a test or an opportunity to demonstrate the character of our heart. And we have the opportunity to be obedient and submissive, to demonstrate our willingness to follow our our human authorities, as well as, and in that, to demonstrate our love and obedience to Christ. Uh, it's not easy. It goes against our nature. Uh, there is something in our sinful nature that does not like to be told what to do, at least not for me, right? Especially by people who are you know, kind of overbearing in their asking. Like there's a nice way to ask and there's a way to tell. People tell you what happens. You know, we kind of get this resistance, right? Uh, and that resistance can be a reflection of our ultimate attitude towards Christ. Are we resisting Christ as he calls us to do things? Or are we yielded to him and obedient? Our obedience is extremely important to God. And uh, he tests it daily in human relationships. Um, Second way we are to work. So we're supposed to have this attitude of submission, of willingness, of eagerness in our service. Secondly, we're supposed to have uh, what what I label diligence. Now in the scripture... The little translation, he says, you should serve your masters with fear and trembling. Okay? Now, some bosses like this verse a lot. You know, it's like, I don't see you shaking enough. You're not shaking enough. You know, you, and uh, certainly some employers, especially maybe in a more secular realm or in some really crazy you know, Christian organization, uh, there's this sense of ruling by fear. Well, what does this mean, serving with fear and trembling? Well, it could really have two possible interpretations. One is that this fear and trembling is ultimately before God. Since God is our employer, we know that God is our judge, there's a certain fear and trembling of this day when we will stand before him in judgment and he will examine our work. And uh, if we really believe that, and if we really own that principle, it should create in us a sense of fear and trembling. Uh, If we're really aware of the fact that God is watching closely our work, uh, it ought to make us very conscientious, maybe nervous, about uh, what God expects of us and how we're measuring up. It can also mean, though, just in a more human sense, uh, the idea of standing before people and uh, being, being worried, being concerned about how our work will be evaluated. It really has the picture, and was used in secular writings, of a person who was given a job or a task and they weren't sure they could do it. It was really more than they had the ability or capacity to do. And they were worried or concerned that they weren't going to be able to measure up. 
but they were diligent and determined to do their best. Okay? So they didn't give up, they didn't quit, they didn't come up with excuses, but they applied themselves with diligence to, to, to do everything they could to accomplish this task given them. And I, can, I, can, I can relate with this whole fear and trembling thing when it comes to preaching. For me, preaching is very much a fear and trembling thing. You know, I, in fact, I remember when I first started uh, pastoring a long time ago, uh, it was a little country church, and we had this big high platform where you sit up where everybody could really see you. And, uh, you know, it was one of those deals where they wanted the preacher on the stage where they could watch you, you know, for the whole warm-up and the whole worship time. And uh, I hated that. I just hated being in front of people. And I still do, actually. I do not like being in front of people. And so I would, I would line my chair behind the pulpit, <laughs> and I would hide. And I would kind of hope like the rapture would come before I had to stand up and preach. Right? And I would just sit there with fear and trembling. Right? And what that did is it motivated me. That kind of fear and trembling motivated me to be diligent because I didn't want to stand up in front of a bunch of people that would be foolish or fail. And, and so that's kind of the picture here is we, we're motivated to be diligent and determined in our work. Uh, in other words, we don't do our work lazily. We do it with diligence. Uh, and finally, he says, uh, we are to do it wholeheartedly. And he uses two different expressions to describe this. One, he says, with simplicity of heart, or the word can be translated singleness of heart. It really does have the idea of doing, not doing things half-heartedly, thus wholehearted. Okay, a heart that is singly focused on the work at hand. Okay, so we're diligent about it, and we're focused on it. Okay, when, we, when we are called to do a job, we just don't do it half-heartedly, lackadaisically, lazily. There is intention, there is enthusiasm, there is zeal for the job. Okay? Now, of course, that's e- easy when the job is maybe preaching or you know, something where you're in front of people or something that gets noticed. You know, the whole washing dishes thing, cleaning the room, you know, it's a little more hard to be wholehearted in those kind of jobs. But in every work, in every job, God examines our wholeheartedness. Um, you know, we know that there are things we love to do. Uh, maybe you love to golf, play soccer, uh, play Zelda, I don't know. Um, if you don't know Zelda, it's a, it's a video game. Um, you, tell the, you tell the old people from the young people. The young people are going, oh yeah, Zelda. The older people are going, huh? <laughs> Zelda. Okay. What do you like to do? What do you love to do? Now, those things that we love, we tend to do very focused, right? We tend to put lots of energy and focus and attention and concentration on those things. Do you put the same effort and attention and focus on things you don't like to do? Writing prayer letters. You know? Now, maybe some of you like that. For, for me, that's like the curse. I hate it. I, I, and, but do I give it the same attention and focus and diligence? Do I do it with the same enthusiasm? Is it a work I put my whole heart into? Right? God expects that of us in all our work, that it's done diligently. So, so the bottom line is how we work. We work with a certain work ethic. There's a work ethic that comes from, we call it a Protestant Christian work ethic. It's because it comes from Scripture, actually. Who knew? You know, the, the, the God gave us work, and he expects it to be done at a certain level, a certain quality, with a certain intensity, with a certain effort. And God, as our boss, judges that work. And He judges our effort, and He judges our intentions. He judges our heart in it. All right? Now, not all work will be equally successful. Uh, but all effort should be. Right? 
We may put a lot of effort in and still fail. I've had lots of those. Okay, and God doesn't hold us accountable for that. If we've done our all, given it diligence and determination and effort. Okay, so that's how we work. Um, thirdly, why do we work? Uh, now, it's interesting. We can... One of the problems here is that we can actually we can actually work with fear and trembling for the wrong reason. Okay, you can actually work be, be very diligent, you can be very determined, very wholehearted in your work, but be working for for the wrong motive. And when you're working for God, the motive is extremely important, right? And we kind of appreciate that if our motive is to become extremely wealthy, so we don't have to work and we can you know live on some deserted island and live a completely hedonistic life, okay, we would know that that's probably not the right motive. So what is our motive for work? Well, Paul says, uh, and this is again in the New Living, I don't know why they translated it this way, but they said uh, to please please them at all times is kind of translating it backwards, uh, not just when they are watching. Paul uses two words there. The first word is the word I service. A lot of scholars actually believe that Paul may have invented this word because there's no record of it in, in secular Greek before Paul. Uh, to, serve, to serve for the eye. Okay? In other words, working to put on a good show. Right? Working so that you impress people. Now, you guys all know this guy. This is the guy at work who, you know, when, when the boss is not around, they're the laziest bum ever. Right? They won't do anything. They're, they're just trying to slough off their work, dish out to everybody else. But when the boss shows up, what happens? They are Mr. Johnny-on-the-spot guy, right? They're, they're, they are Mr. You know, hard, they're sweating, man, they're dirty. They, they're into it up their elbows, hardworking, right? Why do they work? Well, their motive or their, their reason for working is to impress because they want to move up the chain. They want to get the raise or they want to impress the boss, okay? And there's lots of ways we can work, and our work can be to impress people. Uh, this is... This is scary and dangerous for those of us who make a living, who, whose work is funded and supported by organizations in other countries, and we send back reports of our work, right? You know, do we work just so that we can come up with a really cool newsletter to impress people back home? Because that's the motive of our working, all right? Well, you go, well, if I don't do that, they won't give me money. Well, be that as it may, is that your number one motive, Okay. Is that the only reason you do what you do? Right? Are you working to impress people? Are you working to impress people who live here trying to make it look like you're doing something significant? You know, the worst thing in the world are preacher conventions. You know, preachers all go, they all get together and they'll brag about their church. And it's like all, it, all it's for is a show to impress people. How many people they baptize or how big their church is or how many churches they planted or whatever. Right? Uh, Paul says, do not work for eye service. That should never be the incentive or motive of your work to impress people. Okay? Secondly, he uses another word. He says, not, not with eye service or as men pleasers, as people pleasers. Okay, a lot of work can be done with the motive to please people. Now, some of you who are quick and sharp will be thinking, well, you know, if we're supposed to be servants, we're supposed to be submissive, we're supposed to be, you know... Are we supposed to make pe- are we supposed to please people? Isn't this kind of a contradiction here? We're supposed to serve but not please them? I'm here to serve you, but I hope you're not happy. <laughs> how, how does that work? Well, uh, 
what it means is this. Uh, there is certainly a kind of people-pleasing that is focused on pleasing people, but may not be pleasing our boss. All right? You know, you've, been at, you, you, you've probably been at a restaurant or a shop or a store, and you're talking with a guy at the counter, and you're asking for something special, and they say, well, we're really not supposed to do this, but I'll do it for you. Okay? In other words, you know, I can get in huge trouble for this, but I want to please you, so I will go against my boss and company rules to please you. Now, of course, we love people like that, okay, because we get what we want. But as an employee, that's not what we're supposed to do. Okay, we shouldn't be pleasing people at the expense of the rules or the, the parameters of our job, all right? And certainly there's an there's a attitude that seeks so much to please people, it breaks all kinds of rules, uh, cuts all kinds of corners. Okay, that's not working with ethics or integrity. Um, you know, we're, we're called to, to follow the rules and the guidelines. Our, our boss, our company we work for, our organization, they do have certain uh, ethical boundaries, things that keep us in integrity. We should never violate those things to please people. Uh, it also means this, though. It, it means doing things only to please people. But the main purpose or incentive of our work is to please people and get applause from the crowd, get our strokes from people, and not to please God. Okay? Now, I, I told you that uh, I, I preach with fear and trembling. The danger is that, for me, a lot of the fear and trembling is not before God, it's before men. See, it's really easy for preachers to stand up and go, I don't want to look stupid in front of people. And that's where the fear and trembling comes. I want people to like me. I want to say things that, 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 uh, that they'll come up afterwards and go, wow, that was a good sermon. Because it makes me feel good, right? So you can all say that. No, no, no. Because that would be preaching for the, for the motive or the incentive of getting praise from men. I love when Peter uh, and the other apostles were arrested in Acts and they got drugged before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin says, you know, you guys are okay. You can do what you do. Just don't preach Jesus. Now, if Peter had been a people pleaser, he'd say, okay, well, we can, we can work something out. We'll, we'll just kind of go around that one. We won't mention Jesus. No, he says, no, we, we did not come to obey men or to please men, but to please God, right? So in our work, uh, we don't do it as people pleasers or as those in eye service. And uh, we really need to evaluate our work. Jesus is going to evaluate our, our work, and it's very important that we take a close look at our motivation for what we do. Why do you do what you do? Uh, is it to impress people? Is it to get strokes to make yourself feel good? Um, is it to get the praise and acclamation of men? Or, Paul says, if it's not to do that, he says, our, our worship is to be to Christ. Our work is to be to Christ, which means our work is ultimately, and our incentive, our motive, is to honor Christ. Okay? Uh, work, what this means is, and this is huge, okay, don't miss this. This is kind of the whole point of the message. So underline this one. What we're saying here, what Paul is saying here, is work is worship. Okay? Work is worship. What that means is, this thing that you spend most of your day doing, is not a separate activity from your quiet time devotions, worship time in the morning. All right? now, of course, we ought to have the quiet time, worship time devotions in the morning to help us keep the right perspective. 
But the reality is the biggest chunk of our life, our work, is intended to be a gift to God of worship. All right? I, and I, thankfully God showed me this back when I was a camp slave. And I was uh, working this uh, fun job every weekend cleaning all the bathrooms in the whole camp. And this was a primitive camp. A lot of the bathrooms were outhouses. They smelled horrible. And these were campers that did not, did not clean up their room very well. It was, it was horrible. It was filthy. And uh, I, I would do this job and not get paid for it. I was a slave. Why did I do this? Well, early on in my Christian life, God showed me that this was worship. And mostly I got that from uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We won't look at that in detail, but go look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may show what the will of God is, your reasonable service of worship, your work which is worship. And uh, that verse just spoke to me. Work is worship. And so whatever I do, no matter how menial, dull, simple, no matter how much I... Maybe, and actually, this is the deal. The more you don't like it, the more it's worship. right? Maybe the more you like it, the less it's worship because it's so easy to do it for me or because I'm, I can please people. right? So you know, at school, if your worst subject is algebra, say, God, algebra is worship. Okay, I'm going to worship you by doing algebra because I hate it. See, that's what I hated was algebra, right? For you, maybe it's something else. Okay, our work is worship, all right? And you can't separate the two. I really am convinced that to the degree we work in order to honor God during the week affects how we praise Him and thank Him and worship Him on Sunday morning or in our own personal worship times. Those things are connected. You cannot separate them, all right? So what you do, whatever it is, all of your work, is to be worshipped to God. And he makes a special point in verse 6 to say this is true. He says in verse 6, do this all the time, not just when men are watching you, as as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, you do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Okay, so this applies to everybody. And uh, whether slave or free, uh, all work is supposed to be worship. You know, and, and for those of you who work in a, in a volunteer organization, either as a volunteer or in, a, in an organization that depends on volunteers, you may have noticed this trend, okay? And the trend is this, that if people get paid, they work about ten times as hard as if they're a volunteer, Right? Have you ever noticed that? Or maybe not ten times. Maybe they just work half as hard. But you know, in a volunteer organization, it's amazing how the same expectation of quality and excellence and punctuality and diligence just isn't there. Right? Now, I know that because I pastor a church, which, requ- which relies largely on volunteers. And one of my great frustrations you know, through all my years of pastoring is how people would get fired for stuff they do in their jobs as volunteers at church, right? Why? Well, because it's just a volunteer job. It's not the same. Well, remember, we work in all work, in all jobs. We work for who? Jesus. And he has the same standards regardless. Slave or free, right? And all work ought to be a gift of worship to him. So the question we need to be asking ourselves is in all our activity, all our working, is it really worthy uh, as a gift to him of worship, right? Or is it shoddy, junky work, work that you would be embarrassed 
to lay before Christ. Right? Uh, here's a good question. If, if you were getting paid a lot of money to do what you're doing now, would it change how you work? Would it change the effort you put into it? Would it change the quality of work? Okay. If so, if you answer yes to that question, then you need to go back to the drawing board because you do get paid for all work. We're going to see that in just a minute. You do get paid for all work. And the one who ultimately pay, pays your wages is Jesus himself. So think about how you do your work. Okay. Uh, is it worship to him? Okay. Is it worthy of a gift to him? <clears throat> so what do we work for? That's... Uh, the motive of our work, what are we working for? Well, he makes it very clear that God does watch, that God does judge. And he says, remember, the Lord will reward each of us for our work. The reality is that both now and in eternity, God will examine all of our work. Uh, in other places, Paul uses the image of it being burned, right? And it coming out. Some of it wood, straw, stubble, goes up in, up in flames, some of it gold and silver, right? Uh, what makes the difference between straw and gold? Is it, is it its successfulness? Maybe. But maybe a lot of what it has to do with is the motive of the heart. Uh, what did you do that was worship to God? What did you do that was an offering to Him to honor Him? When that goes through the fire, what's going to happen with those kind of gifts? They will bring honor to God as objects of gold and silver and precious stones. Okay? The, the, the ironic thing is, uh, you can do a lot of things that are very successful, do them for your own glory, and what happens when it goes to the flames? Man, it's going to be like gasoline, right? It's going to go up fast, right? And God will judge every work. He will judge every work. So we need to be very attentive that all of our work, slave or free, volunteer, whatever, is going to be worthy. Otherwise, why do it? You know, there's not that much time. Life is short. As I get older, life gets shorter. Time goes by faster. You know, do you really want to waste your life doing things that have no eternal value? The cool thing is washing dishes. I wish I'd have known this when I was washing dishes. It would have saved me a lot of heartache. You know, washing dishes at that restaurant. I could have done it as worship. And I wasted it. Not only was it a miserable job, but I wasted it. Because I didn't understand it could be a gift of worship to God. Uh, God is going to reward. It says literally that he will repay each good work. So he's watching, and he will pay, repay in kind. So that which is done to honor Him, He will return honor to us. That which is done in goodness and love and charity, uh, He will return to us goodness and love and charity. Okay. God will pay us. Second thing, that, the second thing we work for, so we work for, for this great paycheck in eternity. Uh, and this is significant too because you know, there are a lot of things that you do that nobody on earth notices. Okay, there are things in service that you may be doing and you go, man, I work so hard and nobody knows about this. It's like wasted, wasted, right? It's never wasted. God sees everything. He notices everything you do in public and in secret. And He rewards every act. Okay? Everything that you do that nobody else knows about, He rewards. Um, second thing, we do it because it is God's will. He, he says a very interesting phrase. He says, you work serving Christ with enthusiasm or wholeheartedly, um, working for God rather than the people. Uh, as slaves, 
doing the will of God with all your soul. Doing the will of God. You know, oftentimes we get really worried and concerned about, you know, am I doing God's will? Is this God's will? It's good to be concerned about this, but I'll tell you what God's will is. I'll tell you one thing that's God's will. God's will is always for you to do the job you're doing with excellence. You never have to ask, you know, God, can I do this half-heartedly? Can I just kind of skate through this job? Uh, Does this really have to be worship to you? Okay, it's always God's will. If we're doing things in service to Him to honor Him, we are doing God's will. The the important thing in this is that doesn't matter if you are a plumber or a preacher. Okay, if you're a missionary or a mechanic. Okay, it all has value to God. And it's all God's will and equally spiritual before Him. Okay, equally significant and important. Sadly, there's this kind of weird thing in Christian circles that you know, if you're a missionary, if you're a preacher, if you're in full-time Christian work, you're kind of like elevated, you know. I don't know where that comes from, because that does not come from Scripture, from God. All work is God's work. It's all the same. There's only two kinds of work. Work that's done for God, that is spiritual, or work that's done for our own glory, which is uh, filthy rags. Okay? Finally, he ends with a word to bosses. Very short word. He said just simply... Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. But remember that you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. Uh, Final word, uh, the work of being in charge. Uh, Some of us are slaves, some of us are bosses. Some of us are bosses who are slaves, and vice versa. Um, he, he He says this, he says, Masters, do the same. Do the same. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he simply means this, that the work of a boss is no different than the work of a slave. It's to be done to Christ, to honor Him, not pleasing men or seeking self-glory, but to honor Christ. Right? So it doesn't matter if you're on top or on bottom, if you're the, in charge of the company, if you're the executive CEO guy or the lowest peon, it's all the same. The worth ethics and the principles all apply equally. It right, doesn't, doesn't change. Uh, with one exception, he says, if you are in charge, you, you do have authority, you're in a position as a boss, don't motivate people with threats. Okay, stop, stop the power trip thing. Okay, leaders, as we know in other places, Jesus taught leaders are to be servants. They're to be people who uh, serve and care for and love those who are under them. He says, that, you know, masters... Treat your servants with dignity and respect and care because you both work for the same boss. Okay? Uh, remember, if you're on top, who you work for. And he says, God has no favorites. In other words, when God looks down at us all, as we see our life here, there is some hierarchy. Okay, maybe not much, but I believe there is some hierarchy in life. But when God looks down, he sees a very level field. Okay, a very level field. And he says, you know, I don't consider, you know, the CEO any more important than the lowest clerk stuffing envelopes. All the same to me. It's all an opportunity of worship through serving, through giving, uh, through honoring me. Let's pray. Father, we uh, 
do just come before you uh, and maybe with a new or a fresh or a reminded a reminder that uh, that we will stand before you someday and we will be judged uh, thankfully not because of our sin we praise you that Jesus has taken away our sin and we will stand before you with no condemnation Lord, that is an awesome thing, and we, we praise you for the grace that allows us to come before you boldly as, as your children, without fear of, of judgment because of sin. But at the same time, you have made it clear that you are watching and evaluating our life, and that everything we do in our life has value and meaning before you. And so we must be careful. And Lord, we we acknowledge and and we know that we can't do this. We can't do it right in our own strength. Lord, given our own flesh and our own inclinations, we'll always mess up. Uh, It's important for us to remember, Lord, that this is about being filled with the Holy Spirit and having your Spirit do a transforming work in our life to make us the kind of people who, uh, who demonstrate this attitude of submission and and humbleness and a servant's heart. Uh, people who who work hard, who work well, uh, who have balance in life. And uh, we know this isn't about being workaholics, but it's about doing every job, every uh, every activity in a way that honors you and with the motive of giving you praise and worship in it. So Lord, help us be more careful uh, be careful about how we waste time or or do things in a haphazard way that's not pleasing to you. Because, Lord, we do want to worship you. We do want to honor you with our life and with all that it's about. May it be a gift to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.